morning, everyone. If you can uh, open your Bibles now, I'll uh, read from the Bible. Uh, we're, we're turning to the book of Matthew, chapter 6, uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount, which uh, Joel will be preaching from shortly. Starting at verse um, 25, but I'll just pray before we read. Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We thank you for the blessing that you give to us through um, the Bible and um, that we can open it freely. God, we pray for Joel as he expands on it and he, um, and he brings your message to us today. We pray for your Holy Spirit to enter us as we hear from him. In Jesus' name, amen. So from verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Are you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is it is its own trouble. Here ends the reading. Thanks, Luke. Alrighty. Good morning, everyone. Good to uh, see you here, and um, particularly if you're visiting here or not a regular here, we want to especially welcome you. And it's um, yeah, great to have you here for Father's Day, and um, I know I've been thinking about for a couple of weeks what to share on this morning and um, this was really on my heart to look at this, um, this passage in the Sermon on the Mount. If you can imagine the scene, Jesus has probably got about a hundred or so of his followers together. He's sitting on a, this hill and he starts to unpack, I guess, some of the practical implications for living in the kingdom of God. It's really like... You know, love your enemies, pray, give to the needy, you know, blessed are those who are, you know, he has all this stuff going through. And then right in the middle, he says this thing of like, do not be anxious. And it's like, if you had a hundred followers and you're trying to explain to them what does it mean to live in the kingdom, if you had to think about what would be the things I would teach them, to not be anxious would probably not be one of the things I would, topics I would cover. And yet for Jesus, he thinks this is important enough I need to cover this with my disciples before they go out and live this kingdom life. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. But while the title in your Bible probably says, Do Not Be Anxious, 
really the heartbeat of this passage is who God is. It's understanding who our Heavenly Father is. Um, A.W. Tozer says this. He was writing in the start of the 20th century, and he says, A local church will only be as great as its conception of God. So a local church, us here, we will only be as great as our conception or our understanding of who God is. It's not reliant on our programs or how good our music is or how well our sermons might be or how great our times of prayer are or how good our community is or how well we, we care. Like The local church will only be as great as its conception of God. And so really my prayers this morning is that, like Wade said at the start, that actually we would have a better understanding of who our Heavenly Father is because of our time together. And that's what we would leave this place with a greater understanding of who God is. Is that cool? All right, so that's where we're heading. That's what we're going to be looking at. I want to talk about, firstly, the problem, secondly, the Father, and then thirdly, some practical implications of what all of this means. So, Firstly, the problem, the problem with a passage like this, I think often, I don't know, what was your feeling as you read it, as we heard it, and you heard those words, do not be anxious? What was your reaction to that? Because I often, I've read it, and I was like, yeah, right. Like, that's not possible. Do not be anxious. You're kidding me, right, Jesus? Like, surely this is one of those times when Jesus is exaggerating a exaggerating something so he just makes a point. Like he can't be saying this literally. Did any of you have a similar reaction to that? Of just being like, nah, I can't do that. Maybe some. But in this passage, three times Jesus says, do not be anxious. In the space of nine verses, three times he says, do not be anxious. And I mean, the Bible was written before there was things like caps lock, or bold, or italics. So the way that you emphasize a point for the biblical writers was by either repetition or word order. And so when a point is repeated, when Jesus repeats something here, he's trying to make a pretty clear point that do not be anxious is actually a serious thing that he's talking about. Now, before we go on, it's important to probably, uh, I guess, little disclaimer of like there are probably different types of anxiety particularly in our day and age different ways that we use that word um there is probably a healthy sense of worry and anxiety um probably in a younger generation like mine our problem is that we probably don't worry about things enough (laughs) you know we have a test coming up and i go yeah she'll be right Whereas actually a little bit of worry would probably be a good thing to actually move us to a place of study and working. You know, there's a healthy sense of worry and anxiety. Um, worry, anxiety, the definition is a troubled feeling around an unknown or uncertain event or outcome. So a troubled feeling, a troubled emotion response to an uncertain or unknown event or outcome. So in some ways that's, that's a that can be a good thing. If we have a troubled feeling that, hey, look, there's, you know, someone's off there by themselves and I actually feel a bit concerned about them and I'm going to do something positive about that, like that's a healthy worry or anxiety. So it's not like all of it's bad. There's also probably in our day and age, we, t- we talk about anxiety uh, in like a psychological disorder, a mental health issue, which is, you know, really serious. Um, we have, 
you know, some people would say an epidemic of it in our culture. There's probably people here who have been through it or going through it. That's a very real thing. And while I believe that Jesus can restore that and bring healing to that, and I hope that the church community would be, would be a safe place for people to walk that journey in, um, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying in here. Just be like, don't be anxious. And you're like, I'm always anxious and I've got this. You know, that's, I think, a bit different. I think really what the Bible is dealing with here is an unhealthy sense of anxiety, an unhealthy sense of getting a troubled feeling, getting worried in a way where it doesn't move us to positive action, where it lingers. You know, when often you can get worried and anxious about something in a way that it just, it just lingers. It's always on your heart and your mind. You can't shake it. You can't get rid of it. And often what particularly when you read what Jesus says, is that it was anxiety around somewhat trivial things, how we look, what we might wear, what we might eat or drink. And in the circumstances, Jesus was like, that's a bit ridiculous. So it's that type of anxiety that the Bible seems to be focusing on here, an unhealthy sense of worrying about somewhat trivial things in the grand scheme of things. But like I said, while anxiety is a key point, it is not the point of this passage. Really, the heart of this passage is to do with trust. Even at the start, it says, Therefore I tell you. And Jesus, this therefore, is linking back to the previous section. If you've got your Bibles there, you can see that's the section on laying up treasures in heaven, which is a passage about trust. Laying up treasures in heaven doesn't mean sending all of our money to an eternal bank account. It was more about what, where, where's your treasury? Where do you keep your valuable things? Are they on earth or are they on heaven? And if you keep your valuable things in heaven where earth and moth do not destroy, where there's no rust, where thieves can't break in, that's a sign of your trust. That's where your trust is. So Jesus says, logical follow-on is that, is that, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Because you trust that. You trust there. And Jesus says right at the end, you cannot serve both God and money. Like you cannot trust both things. And then he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about anything. So if you decided to place your trust in Jesus and say, he's your master, he's the one I'm following, the step from Jesus then is therefore, if you trust in that, he says, do not be anxious about your life where it's more an issue of trust. This is what Augustine wrote in the 4th century. So once again, he's using language differently to how we would use it today. But he says this, Worry, fear, sadness, and deep depression are smoke from the fires rising from the altars of our idolatry. Follow the trail of that smoke, and you'll see where you have substituted something for God. Like I said, he's using language 1,500 years ago, different to how we would use it today. But this idea of following the smoke just captured me this week. When I'm worried and anxious about that something, follow that smoke and see where that leads and see what is actually in your heart of what you're trusting in or what you're hoping for will bring you life and satisfaction. If you're worried about how you look, 
all the time. Follow that smoke. And in a way, what you are saying is that if I look good, life will be okay. If everyone sees me and says, oh, it's a beautiful shirt, you know, you think that's what's going to give me joy and satisfaction. Follow the smoke of that worry and anxiety and where does that lead? What is actually in your heart? Worry is almost the surface level and then trust is really below the surface, the heart of the matter. You know, this week I found myself getting worried and anxious about how people might perceive me. Not necessarily how I look, but how I'm perceived. Do people think I'm a good person? Do they think I'm you know, this or that? And it just overtook my heart and mind for a whole week. I got so worked up and I had to follow the smoke of that and go, actually, what's at the heart of that? Because it's not really, I'm concerned about what God thinks. It's like, I want to control my image and perception and I want to make sure that people, and I want to be in control. It's really the heart of the matter. And as harsh as it is, that is really, that's sinful. That's idolatry, because I put something else in the place of God. So follow the smoke of your worry and anxiety and see where that leads. See what you're trusting in. See what is it that you're hoping will bring you life and joy and satisfaction. So that's the problem. Got that. I'm sure all of us can... Think of different things that we're worried about there. But really, I want to focus most of our time here is on the Father. Because Jesus says, do not be anxious. But then notice what he does. He doesn't give them a whole bunch of practical tips. Although there's a few things that we'll touch on later. He doesn't say, you know, download this mindfulness app and do it 10 minutes a day and you'll be fine. He doesn't say, you know, go for a walk in nature every day and you'll be okay. You know, while they might be good things to do, he doesn't give a whole lot of practical advice. Instead, what he does is says, this is who your heavenly father is. Look at the birds. Look at the lilies. Look at the fields and understand who your father is. Therefore, do not be anxious. And so I want to focus in on the father this morning and pray that we'll get just a greater and a fresh revelation of who God is as our father and it's interesting, later on in Matthew, many of you would know the verse where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Yeah, you know that verse? The context of it is actually to do with God's revelation. It says, Jesus says, No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, that's the Father. Come to me, all who are labor and who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And there's this link between the Son will reveal the Father and the Son will give rest. Like they're said in the exact same breath, the exact same sentence that Jesus says, I'm going to reveal the Father, so come to me and I'll give you rest. And there's this sense of actually we can rest, we can have peace when we understand who our Father is. Do you know, when my dad says he's going to look after something, he's going to do it, I know he's going to do it. I can relax. I can rest because I know who he is. 
You know, and so if we understand who our Father is, that is the place of peace for us. Now, like Wade mentioned at the start, the relationships that we've had with our earthly fathers will probably distort this in a good way or a bad way. Even if we've had a really good relationship with our Father, that will give us, a, 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 I guess, a different view of who God is. And so we all have misconceptions of who our Heavenly Father is, and so that we, therefore, we all need to grow in our understanding of who our Heavenly Father is. And so for some of the things that we mention now, they might be sort of a fresh thing that you go, oh, wow, I haven't really thought of that before. Be great. For others of us, these will be things that we go, actually, yeah, I know that, but I need to hold on to that. And these might be promises of who God is that you go, I'm going through a tough time, I need to hold on to this. So four things that this passage tells us about our Father. Firstly, your heavenly Father knows. It's one of the things I've just been repeating in my mind this week. Of like, do not be anxious, your heavenly Father knows. Do not be anxious, your heavenly Father knows, your heavenly Father knows. Right there in verse 32, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows you. You Psalm 139. You know when I sit and when I arise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. That God knows everything about you. That, That psalm says, you know, it's before you were formed, before you were knitted together in the womb, your father knew you. But not just that he knows you, but he knows all. In Hebrews 4, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. So it's one thing to go, yep, God knows me, that's huge. But the thing is, God also knows all. Nothing in all creation hidden from his sight. He knows your situation. He knows your thoughts, your feelings. He knows what you need and what you want. He knows the past, the present, the future. Now, for me, this is like probably the hardest one because I think this is one that probably we often struggle with the most because our thinking is often, well, if God knows, why does he allow this? Or if God knows, why does he do this? You take any issue around the world, whether it's a personal issue in your life or whether it's like an issue like poverty or violence or whatever, you go, well, if God knows that, why does he allow it? Why does he do it? And the reality is, I don't know all the answers. But what the Bible teaches is the opposite. Is that God allows because he knows. Or God does because he knows. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. Like He, he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going on. And He's got a greater plan and a greater vision in mind. And that is super hard (laughs) to hold on to. That is super, like, countercultural to what our world would say and and what our people would challenge us in. But it's really, like, the first thing. Because if if we believe God knows, then the rest sort of step out from there. But I think that is really, like, almost the foundation level of like 
Either God knows what he's doing or he doesn't. That's really the heart of this. And if we believe that our Heavenly Father is in control and that he knows and that he's aware of all things and that he's got a plan and a purpose, then the next few make sort of logical sense from there. And so I think for some of us, we just need to remind ourselves that actually our Heavenly Father knows. He knows what we need, knows what we want. He knows what's going on. He knows. He knows. And as challenging as that can be, when we know who our Father is, that can also be the greatest comfort that we can know that He knows. So number one, your Heavenly Father knows. The second is that He knows and He cares. Jesus draws his disciples' attention to the birds and he says, Are you not of more value than they? And the truth is that 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 is right from the start of creation. That's how God set up humanity. He, he, He got humans and he made them in his own image. He breathed his life and his spirit into them. He gave them responsibility. And, you know, we were unique in creation. We are unique in creation compared to everything else. Like God has a special care and a unique care for his people. Are you not of more value than they? Look at the birds. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't build a big savings account, but yet each and every day they find what they need. Your heavenly Father provides. Are you not of more value than they? You know, I read this thing this week that said, the birds ain't got nothing on us. And sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of that. <laughs> that we have more value. That our Heavenly Father cares. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. It's not just that he knows what's going on, but also that he cares. He cares deeply for us, for our situations. He wants to walk this road with us. And we just need to let those words echo in our mind that he cares. He cares for you. He cares for me. Sometimes we just need to... Like I said, repeat these things to ourselves until they eventually make their way through some of the barriers in our minds and our hearts and sink in and get to the point where we can go, yes, he cares for me. You are of more value than the birds of the air. Hopefully there's no bird activists or anything here this morning. Jesus isn't PC about birds. The third thing Jesus says is that your heavenly Father is eager. In, in, in verse 30, Jesus draws his disciples' eyes to the lilies of the field and how they grow. And he says in verse 30, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Now, this is where the ESV gets a little bit annoying because that doesn't really, like, it's hard to say, will he not much more clothe you? 
I had to practice it a few times this week because it's like we would say, um, he, like, he will clothe you much more. You know, he'll give you more clothes or something like that. But the reason the ESV puts it this way is because, once again, the emphasis, the word order, is the focus is on the much more, not the clothing. The emphasis is on your father. He doesn't want to clothe you, but like much more wants to clothe you. The emphasis is on that he's eager to give good gifts to his children, much more than the grass and the fields. Just later on in Matthew 7, you know, Jesus says, Ask, seek, knock, and you receive, you know, the passage. And he says, he draws this comparison between earthly fathers and the heavenly father. And he says, which of you earthly fathers, you know, if, if your son asks for uh, a stone, will give him an egg. Or if asks for bread, will give him a serpent. Like, of course not. Like, none of, no one would do that. And so Jesus says in verse 11, if then you who are evil bit harsh, but okay, theologically true. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, once again, how much more will your Father who is heaven give good things to those who ask him? Once again, this emphasis on how much more. See, our Heavenly Father knows and he cares and he's actually eager to give. Yeah. Our Heavenly Father is not a reluctant giver. I think so often we think that God is reluctantly giving things to His children. That we have to pray, 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 pray. And then, you know, if we pray just enough, He might sort of let a few crumbs from the table to fall to His children down below. You know, sometimes we think that God is like the Grinch who comes down from His far mountain a couple of times a year And he just ruins all of our fun and takes all the presents and ruins Christmas and ruins... Yeah, and like seriously, we need to ask ourselves this morning, what is your view of God? And we need to assess that. We need to reflect and confess that and deal with that because I think sometimes our misconceptions of God really go a long way in actually affecting our relationship with him. But God is not a reluctant giver. We sang the song before, He's a good, good Father. Perfect in all of His ways. Hard to sing, but true. James 1, it says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Even like John 3.16, we're going to be looking this at Christmas, but there's this, idea, you know, this thing of God so loved the world that he gave. And just this focus of God, the heart of God is actually to give generously to his children. Looking through the New Testament and we see that Jesus laid down his life, gave his life. He says that the Holy Spirit has been poured out. The Holy Spirit wasn't just sort of a few drops for a few people, but you know, God says that He pours out His Spirit on all people. Our Heavenly Father is eager, eager to give. You know, and in James chapter 4, it says, We do not have because we do not ask. 
And we're warned we have to ask properly. We have to ask, you know, not for selfish desires or things like that. But God is eager. You know, like I said last week, you know, we've been sort of struggling with schoolies rev for a little bit. Like last couple of months, we had one of our overseas partners pull out. We ha- I thought we had a leader and then she pulled out and I was like, oh, I was just like freaking out. And like instead of doing like the good thing of like what I'm preaching I should be doing and like going and praying and asking God, like I just went into like full control management mode. I'm like, cool, let's get a short list of uh, all these places in Cambodia. We'll just Google, ask around. I'm going to ask this person and you ask that person. We'll send out a whole bunch of emails. And like after three weeks, nothing had come back. I'm like, uh. And then... Leader, okay, cool. Let's get the schoolies rev database. Let's email every person that's come over the last few years, see if anyone's able to lead. And then we had like three people respond. I'm like, okay, how do I do this in like the most efficient manner? I was like, I think I'm pretty sure she was pretty extroverted, so she would be great. And like, I just tried to figure it all out myself. And it wasn't really working out. It wasn't until, like I said, the other week where I put something in the prayer request thing. And within a week, there was an answer to what we're doing. And I'm not saying that every prayer works like that, but it was just this reminder of God saying to me, hey, look, I've got this. (laughs) Your Heavenly Father knows, and He cares, and He's eager. So trust Him. Trust me. (laughs) And that for me was a great reminder, and then I think we got a record number of prayer requests after I said that (laughs) last week, so... It's good. We'll continue to pray and continue to believe that God will God will do what he does. Because the fourth thing is that God is able. Your heavenly Father is able. See, it's great if he knows and if he cares and if he's eager, but if God is unable to do something, then you know, it's kind of falls apart there. I mean, what's the point of trusting a God like that? But the truth of the Bible is that God is actually able. We see in 2 Corinthians 9, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You know, later on in Corinthians, Paul writes, and he says, you know, my, he, Paul writes about this, um, this thorn in his flesh, this thing that was hampering him in some way, and he asked God three times to take it away. And God doesn't do it. And God instead says to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness, so keep going. I'll give you what you need. All sufficiency in all things at all times. That is what grace can do in our lives. In Ephesians 3, though, on the flip side, in Ephesians 3, we heard this a couple of weeks ago with Tim Myers. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we think or we ask, according to the power at work within us. And it's like this twofold thing of God's power, that God is able to sustain you in the journey of life, to give you grace that is sufficient for all things, all times. That is God's power. And God's power is also that he can intervene in a moment and do far more than we can expect or imagine or ask and transform a situation in a moment. And I believe that both are just as miraculous. 
that there's the miracle of a moment, there's a miracle of an answered prayer, there's a miracle of like, yes, that's totally turned around. And we pray for that and we expect that. But on the flip side, we also believe that God will give us what we need to get through the trials and the tribulations of life in all seasons, in all times, in all things, sufficient grace for what we need. And if you really think about it, that is just as miraculous, that we are not abandoned to the darkness of this world, but actually God will give us what we need to get through. That is the power of God. He is able, your Heavenly Father is able to give you all that you need for every moment, every situation. And really the cross is the ultimate example. Think about the cross. I mean, it was literally and figuratively the darkest hours of human history. The whole sky goes black. You know, Son of God has just been... I mean, just think about Jesus' journey. He was betrayed by his friends. Oh, he's let down by his friends. He's in the garden praying. He asks them to pray and they fall asleep. He's let down by the people closest to him. Judas, the guy he's invested threes into, betrays him. He's then put on trial. He is mocked, beaten, physically abused, eventually murdered on a cross by the authorities. I mean, this is, this is, this is God himself in flesh going through absolute torture to the point where on the cross he goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet even in these dark moments, there's a bigger picture being revealed. There's a bigger story being written because it's in that death that actually our sin is paid for and we now receive life. We can walk with him forever. And he calls us to believe in what he's done. He calls us to have faith, to trust. And really that trusting is built on this sense that even in the darkest hours, our Father was in control. Even in the darkest hours, we look back to the cross and we see the Son of God going through massive suffering. And yet the Father was still there, in control, working all things together for good. And if that's who God is then, faith is trusting that that is who God is still now and who God will be forever. So when we say we believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross, we're not just saying that as in like forgiveness of our sins, although that's obviously a big part of it. We're also saying that actually who God is there, I'm, I'm banking on that. Like I'm putting my hope and my trust in the fact that if God did that, then he'll continue to do it now. So may we trust our Heavenly Father, knowing that He knows, He cares, He's eager, He's able. That we see that clearly on the cross, and one day I believe we'll see that clearly from eternity sure. That we'll be able to look back over our lives of earth and go, Ah, yep, I see it. I see it all now. And Paul writes in Corinthians that, now we know in part, one day we will know in full. One day we'll see it all. And for now we're called to actually just trust Him and walk with Him.
So a few just practical implications for us that Jesus alludes to in this passage. Firstly, Jesus says, and probably the key point, is to seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. The reality is, if, if we know that this is who God is, if we know that our Father cares, and that He knows, and He's eager, and He's able, then it just makes sense that that would be who we focus on, not our circumstances or our lives or what's going on around. That If that's who God is, that is who we seek after. You know, David writes in, in Psalm 27, he says this, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. I, would want, I want to have that kind of faith. <laughs> army surrounding, wars rising, and yet I do not fear. I will be confident. How does David have that faith? Well, he says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, and that's what I will seek. There's one thing he's focused on, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. There's wars going on around David, and yet he goes, one thing I seek, one thing I'm going after. Why? For God will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. For David, (laughs) there's storms, there's craziness, there's chaos around him. And yet he goes, one thing I'm seeking, my heavenly father who knows, who cares, who's able, who's eager. He is the one who will shelter me in the day of trouble. He is the one that will lift me high upon a rock. So that is... It's what I'm going after. There's no one else who can save. There's no one else that can satisfy. There's no one else that can pull me out of this situation. And so I'm going to God who can either transform it or carry me through it, but I know that He can. What if we had that one thing of focus to seek after the kingdom? And Jesus says in John 16, He says, In this world you will have trouble. No ifs or buts. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. He is the one that we turn to. We fix our eyes on Him, for He is the one who has overcome. He is the one who can do all things at all times. Sufficient grace. He can do more than we ask or imagine. The second thing that Jesus says, really practical, is that anxiety don't add anything. Some of you just need to lock this into your brains and remind yourselves when you're feeling worried or anxious, just to take the words of Jesus and go, who can, by worrying, add an hour to the span of his life? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life. Verse 26. We just need to remind ourselves sometimes that actually all this worry, all this anxiety is not helping anything. (laughs) In fact, we know that probably the opposite is true, (laughs) that it actually has a negative impact on our health and well-being. But some of us just need to remind ourselves sometimes that 
Actually, this is not adding a single hour to the span of my life. That is biblical and true. I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm going to remind myself of it and just instead do something else. And even Jesus gets into right at the end, you know, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Some of us, myself included, probably me more than anyone, I get so worried about what might happen one day in a potential future in five different paths that could go work. Like, how often do we worry and get anxious about a future that may not even happen like we think it might happen? Now, I drive somewhere and I practice a conversation five different ways that it could go and Jesus says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own. Live in today. Seek the kingdom and just get through today. And he says, instead of being anxious to pray. If you think about the Lord's Prayer, what does Jesus say? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then what? Your kingdom come, your will be done. There is a kingdom focus to the Lord's Prayer in terms of how Jesus tells us to pray. Seek first the kingdom, like it's the same heartbeat. And then what does he say in the prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Not tomorrow's bread, not the future bread. It just says, give us what we need for today, this daily bread. Because Jesus is trying to get us to focus here and now on seeking first the kingdom. Just think of how much of our lives is spent preparing for one day. Whether that is one day in a relationship or a marriage or in a house or in a family or one day in retirement. How much of our lives is spent (laughs) preparing for one day? And Jesus says, no. Seek first the kingdom of God. Pray. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. What if we could just have that focus in our lives? You know, later on in Philippians, Paul writes, and, you know, if you know the life of Paul, he went through some serious hardship. And most likely he's, he's writing this from prison. He's been in prison multiple times just for being a Christian. And what does he say? says, do not be anxious about anything. He, he takes it a step further than Jesus. Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life or do not be anxious about tomorrow. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, and... I don't have time to get into it all, but John Piper, he, he reflects on this and he talks about sort of the Greek original language and all this stuff. And he says, actually, it's not, a, it's not about two alternatives. Sometimes we can read that and say, do not be anxious, but pray. And he says, actually, no, the way that the Greek text works and stuff, it's like, do not be anxious by praying. It's, this is how you do it. So do not be anxious by prayer and petition, in every situation, present your request to God. We just need, sometimes we just need to, with our worry, with our anxiety, 
notice that that is actually maybe a call for us to pray. Every time we stress about something, every time we worry about something, whether it's in our control or out of our control, particularly if it's out of our control, just to, that's a thing for me to pray. I can worry and stress about it forever. (laughs) I can just stop for a moment and pray about it. Present your requests to God. And Paul promises, he writes, that the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. Not it might, not it could, not it not if you do this the right way, but no, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, for it's Jesus is the one. It's in Him. It's not in, you know, how we pray. It's not in whether we pray like this or pray like that. It's in Christ Jesus that there is a peace. Because when you think, when like Jesus is Himself, the Prince of Peace. He was promised right at the start in Isaiah. It says, I will give you... I'll give you a king and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. Jesus says right towards the end of his life, he says in John 14, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 14, 27. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. And I do not give as the world gives. See, you know, our world offers us moments of peace or pockets of peace. You know, we go, we go on a holiday and we, we feel a bit of peace. You know, we handball the kids to someone for a, an hour and we have some peace. We go out for a walk and put on some music and we have a, po- a moment of peace. But Jesus does not give as the world gives. He does not give us a pocket of peace. Instead, we are given a person of peace. We are given Jesus himself to walk with in a relationship. Because Jesus gives us himself. He says, walk with me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Like, walk with me, for I am the Prince of Peace. So may we hold on to that. May we trust believe and have faith even when it's hard even when it doesn't quite make sense that we're actually holding on to actually Jesus is the one that I need he's the one that I seek after he's the one that knows and that cares that is eager and is able and he can do far more than we hope or imagine and so just as we finish up I I really just wanted to just create some space for us to reflect and to just for I guess God to by his spirit just work in your own lives and your own hearts um, that there might be things that you're worried about that you're anxious about I want to encourage you in these moments that we have that you just pray about it just spend some time just literally handing over all your anxieties onto him because he cares for you. 
maybe for some of you, you need to spend some time following the smoke and actually sort of assessing, you know, what, what am I trusting? Who am I following in that? And that might be a place of repentance and confession for you and that you actually need to believe again who God says he is. For some of you, you might want to read over this passage or, or read over the letter that you got at the start and actually just spend some time in that and actually maybe look up some of the verses that are mentioned and just ask God to show you more of himself. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you just to take these moments. Our music team is going to come up and they're going to sing a song um, which is called Bigger Than I Thought. You know, think back to, you know, the primary school playground days, you know, when you went up to your friend and said, my dad is better than yours. And this is what that song is. A reminder to us that God is bigger than we thought he was. And there's this line at the end that says, I will rest in the Father's hands and leave the rest in the Father's hands. And I love that. Uh, it's just, for me, I... Nice, creative, little poetic line. But would that be what we do this morning? That we'd find rest in the Father's hands. And that we'd leave all the rest in our lives. And for some of us, there's a lot of stuff going on. For everyone, like all of us have probably got things going on. We would just leave that in the Father's hands. That we may walk out of here with a sense of peace. Not because all, all the things are magically being fixed. And, you know, we've had this little time where, but like, we walk out knowing that we walk with the Prince of Peace and that his hands are bigger than we thought they were. So I want you to take these moments to reflect. Whatever you need to do, do that with God and these guys can sing.